The Somatic Scribing Lab brought together 30 facilitators, scribes, artists, body workers, counselors, and teachers who are putting the sensing back into sense making. We gathered for 12 weeks in the fall of 2021 to build on the fields of cultural somatics and generative scribing and reconnect to ancient practices for harvesting body wisdom, all in service of our collective liberation. We can't do this alone. So to share what we're learning with our friends and community, we present the Somatic Scribing Podcast. Each episode features a conversation between lab mates, reflecting on what the fertile lab container is teaching us. Sessions and episodes are organized by rhythms of the body, birth, breath, digestion, rest, eros, and death. My name is Kate Morales, and I'm serving in the role of womb space for this collective Selma. Settle in, and welcome. We affirm that the land remembers the blood in our veins, the bones of our body. Today, in convo with Tiare Jung, Omni Kits Ferrara, and the kids in the background, we talk about treating knowledge like they are spirits, the risks inherent in birthing, how to facilitate in ways that reflect not only what is, but what is possible, orienting differently around time, and how the mind-body and human nature disconnection never really happened. A little nudge for you when you get to the end where we offer a practice. You might try adding this little game to your morning practice or setting an alarm during the day to pause for some noticing. We noticed that a daily rhythm of a few minutes of reflection over the course of a week has already started to decenter our thinking brains and open space for more body wisdom to be heard. So... Um, we'll just get started by offering our names where we are, like what, what lands are making it possible for us to join each other across the internet today. Um, Mm -hmm. this is Kate. I am on the unceded lands of the Muscogee Creek people in the city of Atlanta and, um, the waters of the Upper Akamalgee Creek watershed um, nourished me as I was was growing. Um, so I feel really grateful to be on these lands today. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Tiare, the pronouns are they them. And I have been living on and held by the lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples for the past 11-ish years. Um, Yeah, so holding a lot of gratitude for the original stewards of that land who continue to be incredible and the land itself. Mm -hmm. Um, This is Omni, and I am speaking with you from Sandia land. Um, It's lots of different tribes here in New Mexico, um, but the Sandia land is sort of what I am resting on. 
um, being with. And we are near the Rio Grande. I love that you added the water. The water is so important. Uh, so even putting my feet in the Rio Grande and letting that muddy water wash over my feet feels really sacred. Mm. Mm -hmm. And we, this is kind of how we started the lab. There's 30 of us and instead of doing intros about who we are and what we do in the world and what our work is and why we're here, we each offered a blessing um, for an, an, an intention and started with the idea that words are spells. And so what kind of spells or invocations did we wanna bring in? And part of the animist framework of the cultural, the cultural animist framework is that we understand that words speak to larger energies that maybe our ancestors could have called beings or deities or gods or demons or... Um, so maybe we could just start off by um, naming any noticings of what spells have been put into this container so far. And if we can sense any cultural spirit beings who have showed up already in our container. Mm -hmm. Want me to go? I can go. Okay. Um, when, when you laid that foundation of the animist framework, um, immediately what came up for me was the indigenous wisdom that I've studied for a long time, which is um, really from India and the indigenous wisdom of the Dravidian people who were there before, you know, assimilation and all these processes happen. Um, and the spell or the words that came forward um, and then were reiterated in the lab was that everything has a spirit, right? That everything, um, everything is allowed, that if it's here, it is in, you know, it's valid, it has a place, it has a context. And so that sort of, um, that real capacity to hold the fullness of the world that kept coming up for me um, through the words, through the framework, and even just that like deep sense in my belly came up immediately. I also want to lift up something that was said in the first session was um, not, <laughs> that's our four-year-old, no, not four-year-old, I was reading an email about a four-year-old, our eight-year-old friend in the background. Yeah, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> We've got um, Amari Sankofa joining us on the background noise today. <laughs> yeah. Um, their soundtrack is <laughs> very life-giving. Um, uh, something that was said in the first 
joining together was not knowing is the heart of relating. Um, mm -hmm. And then for me, that kind of connects to like knowing or thinking are often like this is very like head, like neck up sort of like way of like approaching yeah like needing to understand or needing to like have answers or a linear trajectory or a map and it's like such an invitation to sort of unfurl into curiosity and sensing and what's possible when you don't have that restriction which I could say more about that, but that's, that's where I'll wrap that thought. Mm. Not knowing is the heart of relating. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember that being put into the container and my sense was that people really received that. Uh, from the little Brady Bunch boxes that you all were in. I could see people kind of nodding or touching their chest or just reacting in a way that that felt resonant. And I'm so curious about that. So we're organizing the lab around rhythms of a body and cycles of a body. And that first session was birth because we were just becoming a, a group together and we, we, it was just very, very beginning. And I'm so curious about what created the conditions for people to receive that not knowing is, is a good way of relating, especially coming from a social justice oriented culture where there's agreements that get us started off and strong desires to create safety right away. And Omni, you and I were just also talking about kids and I think about how birth, birthing is su such an edge of like, um, like I wouldn't use safe to describe birthing. It's a, it's a, it's a real, you know, death is, is in the room attending the birth and life is in the room attending the birth. And so maybe we can follow that trail a little bit to talk about what were the conditions that made people feel like we could relax into a birth together, not, really knowing very much about each other at all. Yeah. Um, I could say so many things. <laughs> I have to choose my words. Um, I was listening to your first podcast with Dare, Kate, like prior, even prior, the one you sent out first, and he was saying, or they were saying, excuse me, um, that he was learning from someone um, about there were, there were no words for safety. 
And what that struck me so deep because I am often trying to navigate teaching, you know, facilitating spaces and holding that room that everything is allowed, right? That safety is not always present. And to bring it back to birth, there is a deep, for me, there was a deep release into not knowing, right? You are not in charge. That's what I felt like the entire time. And I tried so hard in those processes to just um, give in to the wisdom of what my body was doing. But uh, with that edge, as you said, um, I thought I was also going to die in at least one of the births. Um, and I don't know where that was coming from, right? But it was coming. And I wasn't sure what was next. And there's an incredible auspiciousness. I think when we can hold the room filled with everything, the trauma, the creativity, the generative, you know, bubbling, um, when it's all allowed to be there. And that is hard. Right. That is also hard to hold that space. And last, I'll say one last thing, even within our last session together, I asked a question because I'm trying to reject notions of transcendence. That is my like work in the world is I reject the notions of transcendence. I do not want to use perspectives to pull me out. Um, when I was in India, there are people on pilgrimage and they would pin pineapples to their skin and walk hundreds and hundreds of miles or spears through their face. And the reason for that is not self-mutilation. The reason for that is this deep relationship to all the experiences of being alive. And part of that is pain, right? Making relationship with pain. And um, that has always been with me that in birth, right? I would think of those, those pilgrims. I would think of them and say like, yes, this is a process of being in relationship with all the teachings of the physical world reject transcendence, reject transcendence. This is always my mantra because it brings me right into that room um, where everything is happening. Okay, I'll be quiet. Sorry, talking too much. No, not at all. Yeah, pain is... is one of those beings I'm trying to track to I'm trying to think back about if pain has kind of entered our our co collective soma and I think it has I think we've started to touch in on the grief of coming from 
cultures that have had some kind of rupture from their mm -hmm. roots. And that's gonna be something that we talk about a lot in this. I mean, we're, it's not just in the room, we're putting it in the center of the room. And so I, um, I like the way that you were bringing in the, the holding space for everything means that we get to start looking at things like pain and grief as teachers, as our teachers too. And there are conditions that allow for us to really hold that. And I and my facilitation work feel like that's one of the biggest gaps of my sort of learning or training like I feel like my facilitation training has a lot to do with thus far has been, well, yeah, my facilitation training within the context of what's sort of normal in Western facilitated spaces has been to create containers where we're putting parameters around what's allowed in and what's not. And we're immediately putting boxes around our identities in ways that set up the opportunity for people to make assumptions about each other and how safe we are with one another. And so I'm really, I'll be curious to see what happens as we look more closely at the pain of the cultural body and what will end up being the strong parts in the fabric of what we're weaving and where we'll find the opportunity to um, need to do a little more weaving to hold ourselves or to step out of a container that doesn't hold all that gets brought in and the wisdom around that and tracking the body to be self-aware enough to say, okay, I'm not being held in this space anymore and I'm not, rather than um, projecting that in, into the container that just is not designed for what's happening for me right now, I'm gonna sense in and then go resource myself. Have you ever heard of the book, Staying with the Trouble? Donna Haraway. Okay, oh good. Uh, I feel like I'm alone in the world. I'm so glad that you've heard, read this book, but when you were speaking, I thought of the Fulu scene, which is what she sort of names this next envision of the world and a line that kept coming to me as I was listening to you was just the work of living and dying with each other. And what I, what struck me so much in that book was just it's, we focus so much in Western culture on, you know, making it pretty and linear and packaged well and just focus on the good. Let's not talk about that last part of the life cycle. <laughs> and her book, the wisdom of that for me was just sort of what you were saying is like, what happens in that space when we allow that second part of the sentence, you know, living and dying with each other with multi-species with 
this entangled vision of life together. Um, that is one of the reasons I, I, I was so excited about this lab was the hope that I could be in a space where folks really wanted to do that work, you know, where they really wanted to see the different sides, you know, of themselves, but hold, hold the living and the dying and the grief and that's not going anywhere. Right. I was just gonna ask you, Tiari, if you're, if this is feeling different for you. So Tiari is our, our scribe in residence and is, has this sort of <clears throat> sacred role of reflecting back to the group what's happening in real time, which is the work that we do as scribes. And in our conversations, this is, it's a lab for many reasons. And one of the reasons is that we're kind of in these inquiries about how to be in the body and reflect the body at the same time. And so, yeah, I'm curious how it's been for you so far around tracking a body that's trying to be a little bit more aware of itself and the shapes and what you've noticed about what has come, come through, mm -hmm. like come through your hand. The first thing that came up to that question is even just like the invitation of like, what are we offering to this space? And there was someone who sang and showed us some rosemary and some fennel. And it was so releasing to not come into the space with a, or like, and there are so many offerings that were beautiful in that opening. And I guess for myself, as someone who's both participating, witnessing and reflecting back the shape of the whole, I well, I feel so alive in the work of like, tending to the cultural body or tending to the body of a space. And I also feel like there's so much that needs to be unlearned in terms of like how we be and gather together. And I see so much of that modeled with particularly like the indigenous matriarchs and aunties and femmes who I have the like amazing joy and honor of working with often in their work and like yeah so just seeing that invitation feeling the invitation for folks to come in various ways and that also is more freeing for me in the like observing and transmuting the um like it's a less didactic approach Mm -hmm. that is also mm -hmm. not just about reflecting what is but reflecting some of what's possible it's like an mm. opening like the group is creating an opening and I'm 
tuning into the energy of that opening and being like, let's add some colors. And what, <laughs> you know, is this a swirl? Is this a membrane? Is this a, is this the like color palette of a sunrise? It's a, always a new day. Um, Here's a recipe for our being together that is a combination of, you know, people coming into the space offering different images, like different aspects of life around them, like a tree that is the tree that grows back after a place has been disturbed, um, a flower, um, a dog that is a grounding presence for them <laughs> in like I was in um right before coming into this space I was in a space with indigenous folks of the new channel of nation talking about their ancestral wisdoms and surfacing that in their meeting spaces um so not teaching anyone new skills so much as affirming what they already know. And they were talking about like family crests and how when the colonizers came, they didn't understand the visual language of the family crests or the totems. And they were like, well, they were illiterate. <laughs> we have all these complex, beautiful images that tell- The colonizers were illiterate. The colonizers <laughs> were illiterate. Thank you for that <laughs> clarification. Um, yeah, and so that was also something that I was like, oh, cool, people are bringing in their like offerings in like what is possible for making some sort of a crest that like can have meaning that evolves and has different dimensions for different people. Wow, something you just, you just said, we're not just reflecting what is, but what's possible. That feels like such an elegant way to describe what somatic scribing is trying to get at. And I love that the surfacing, the surfacing wisdom around that <clears throat> also helps me think about how we're reflecting what's possible both forwards and backwards in time. Like when I think about what's possible my mind first goes to a kind of horizon of where we're going of what's possible. And then hearing you talk about the indigenous folks who are trying to surface wisdom, there's also this, I just think that speaks to the brilliance of how people have hidden culture in different ways from and, and protected it like in the open, like how culture has had to go into stealth mode to survive colonization. And, and also the ways that we access the wisdom of our lineages through our bodies and surfacing wisdom can be about just paying attention to what, you know, why, why it's my lower back that kind of aches when I I'm overworking or why is it that I get tingles in the back of my neck when we talk about spirit or, you know, our bodies are also places where, where wisdom surfaces. 
And um, yeah, I'll pause there. There's so many beautiful trains to follow listening to you both speak. Um, um, my body knows more than my brain does. And I love how we made that distinction. Like the brain is also the body. <laughs> right, Emma. Um, but there is this, there's this coded wisdom that has been passed down generationally. And I often think of the work of listening is the work of like reclamation of what is already there, that alreadiness. Um, and this past year, um, uh, I have ancestry in the Silicon tribe, which is an unrecognized tribe, but certainly a part of history in the Washington area. And I called my tribal elder and I sort of asked him, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm so naive. I just really want to hear and I want to support and I want to reclaim um, some of the things that have been lost. I said, like, like language, like, like I know that I have family members who went to the Indian schools and what did that cause in our families, right? Like there, I'm so removed if even just two or three generations from that, I'm so removed. And so there was something deep in my body going, well, what is your, what is this? You know, where do you come from? What is, what is your past? And it's not just that aspect. Right? We have lines to many different experiences, um, but to hear him speak about it's never too late, you know, just the aliveness of it, um, that reclaiming is active, you know, even his daughter is doing that work. Um, and that we, we can, we can open up that space of, yes, what's possible, but it is also what what happened right it's that beautiful um paradox paradoxical place mm. non-linear time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean non-linear time what you're both talking about or speaking to and the like idea of like forward future into the horizon and backwards into the past reminds me of, um, I mean, I think of course there's not like a pan indigenous way and also like there are themes of like themes that come through across like I work with a lot of different nations in the work that I do and like something that's really strong is often like seven generations and like we're like living as if we're like just forming 
like our existence on earth from the seven generations before us. And also when you are doing healing work now, you're healing the seven generations before you. Mm -hmm. Even the concept of like before and after. So one of the things that we'll do in the lab is take a close look at metaphors. It's metaphors to me are the bridge between the, the scribes who are showing us how we're orienting to, to what we're talking about. And the, and the metaphors for people who facilitate or maybe who aren't the artists are ways that we can spatially orient people to, to what we're talking about. And you were reminding, when I was listening to you say like, the descendants before us and the ancestors behind us. Um, my, my teachers in Mexico talk about how the body in their specific tradition were moving through time facing backwards. Like we're traveling with our back to where we're going because we don't know where we're going. <laughs> we can't see, we can't see that. We can just see what's what we, where we've already been. And so we're traveling backwards through time and in a spiral. And that has really stuck with me as, as, a, as an example of how, my, how often I will orient spatially in my language and my metaphorical language and in what I'm drawing, a the sort of horizon of where we're going is that we're looking ahead to it. And this feels like a moment in history where we understand that for, for folks in the West, for like non-Indigenous peoples, lots of us, we can't vision our way out of what we've kind of internalized by growing up in this, in this way, in this culture. Mm -hmm. And so kind of going back to like the not, not knowing as a way of relating, it's like, how can we what happens if we just put ourselves in a metaphor of like, there is a horizon and our back is to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. and, then, and then what's possible? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't know, there seems to be a certain sense of trust with our back to the horizon. <laughs> that image, as you said that, I was like, I don't know, maybe it's just inevitability, right? We'll get there. Because hmm. we will, right? Because we will. Um, so that blindness is sort of really beautiful. Um, but I, but also that like, like that trust fall, like you just kind of go into it, you know, like you just let your whole body be absorbed in, the unfolding. Yeah, and thanks, Omni. Earlier, you also just, it was like a passing thing, but it's not, it's a pretty big shift that we're working with, a kind of understanding that we're working with here, which is that the mind-body separation is kind of a misnomer, mm -hmm. and that the brain is connected down through the 
spine and through a vast neural network and a vast majority of our of our nerves that live in our pelvis and that it's that's another sort of spatial metaphor that we can we can change the way that we speak around um it was it was really a big deal when i changed my language and how i oriented to like healing healing the gap between the mind and the body mm-hmm. and just was like oh there's that actually didn't ever even exist and that's a we can see that kind of nested in a larger concept of our human bodies never actually being disconnected from the earth either even though even though it's a really valid perception to feel that we've grown up you know separated from from the life that surrounds us we could also tell the story and rest into the fact that that hasn't that that there's also um, a way that we've always belonged and that we are the walking sentient earth yeah yeah the the philosophy that i've studied for so many years now it starts from the premise and it's indian it's indian wisdom right it's not mine um in any way shape or form but it's that when when we are born we've won the lottery so that's it you are the success right as soon as you are born you are already woven into everything there's nothing you need to prove or do or get or find and for me what resonates so deeply with that is we could be a tragedy and our life is still absolutely valuable right we could be deemed um you know unsuccessful in the world that we've the cultured world that we've grown up in and our life is still absolutely full of purpose right that there are so many ways that life lives and that foundation of animism sort of feels familiar even though it's not so familiar to me it feels familiar in its um offering in the way of going it's like you can't go off course so even if we're walking backwards it's like there's that deep trust of we're moving into that next place and that next place. Um, and maybe that's why it was so resonant when, when that phrase was uttered, you know, uh, not knowing is the heart of connection because we know that. <laughs> we know that we don't know. I, I, I do think that most of us can somehow get down to that and say, I actually have no idea. <laughs> I don't know a lot of things. Um, well, one of the things that we want to offer through this podcast is to give back out some of the practices that we're working with in the lab and just kind of share them in, in these sessions. And so I wonder on the thread of uh, not ever actually being separate or, or lost, lost connection, if we could end by doing a little tracking of uh, connecting a thought to a feeling, to a sensation, 
So that was one of the, the somatics practices that we started with. And it, it, the intention is to widen the aperture of how we know what we know. And just like how we wouldn't be able to see where we're going with our eyes, there might be other ways that we can perceive where we're going walking backwards if we're tuned into what our feet are telling us or what the air changing temperatures might tell us or what it might feel like um, to have a sense of surrender and where that might live in our bodies. So yeah, I wonder if y'all would just wanna sense right now into what, how this conversation has landed on each of our bodies. And we can just do a little model of if there's, if we can trace any of the thoughts that have arisen in this conversation um, and follow them a little bit into the body to, to see if there's any other things that are connected to those. And I could start us off. That would be helpful. I'm just gonna tune in. I think I'll I think I'll actually start with a sensation which is uh, I'm really aware of what's in my chest like the space within my chest cavity I just got an an image of my ribs kind of being woven through almost like a nest and it feels the sensations feel uh tangly and secure my it's almost like yeah it's an ex it's a sort of like extrasensory feeling of being woven in from my from my chest and if i were to connect that with a feeling i might call it tranquility or maybe belonging And that, that connects for me to the surfacing of wisdom that we talked about from, from the past and, and the future. <laughs> um. 
Thank you for sharing. Um, the, the image that came up for me that, and it is linked to the sensation first to it's just this, um, this image and this like deep feeling of tissue, not like Kleenex, but like my body tissue and the, it's almost like the alreadiness of being is woven in the tissue and it's both delicate and really uh, generative and strong. Um, so I just kept feeling that like the contradictory possibilities within like within my body, you know, within my skin, within my muscles that it, it's so alive and it's always near the brink of other things too. It's, it's delicate and so strong um, and it's woven. So I feel that woven piece as well. Um, this sensation for me is one of walking into a body of water with a current and not knowing how to swim. <laughs> and there's like a like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> but then there's a, oh, you can float backwards on your back. Mm -hmm. You can do that. And there's still some work involved. <laughs> um, to stay afloat. And also, Yeah, I think the feeling or the feeling is like, there's so many layers of feeling, but a combination of grief and relief in cycles and awe. And the images or thoughts are like a celebration of the like my mom and my sisters who raised me and like we're all mixed race and have ancestries from a lot of like various various lands, including Hawaii, Tahiti, and um, Kwetli Tene, 
Ireland, China. Well, not my mom, but my sisters. And the thought of just seeing my family in their art practices mm-hmm. and the, the like the current that flows through is a current that flows through um I'm not sure how to like weave those things together in a more cohesive way, but that's okay. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. For now. Not knowing is the heart of relating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to extend gratitude to you both for spending Sunday morning with us and all the other spirits. Um, spirits and energies that we've invited in, in this conversation. I hope you've enjoyed the delighted sounds of the children playing in the background. We're just people hanging out in our house Sunday morning um, and weaving what we're learning into the fabric of our lives. So thanks for listening. We'll be back with more information the next session that we are going to be together in is gathered around the body rhythm of breathing. So that'll be what orients the next combo. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about upcoming workshops and all things somatic scribing on my website as thecrowfliesdesign.com or by following me on Instagram at crowcamino, that's C-R-O-W-C-A-M-I-N-O. Music for this podcast is from the album Black Shaman by our lab mate, multidisciplinary artist and healing practitioner, Neith Sankofa. You can check the show notes for all that info and be in touch. We'd love to hear from you.